Welcome to episode 197 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Rachel Bean. She's a creative director for Google, currently working on the material design team. She's done a ton of amazing work at Billboard, at Google Play, at Google Material. At... She works on the emoji Man. spec. That's pretty cool. We had a great conversation, but before we get into it, a couple things. First up, I want to thank our sponsor for this week, Fuse. Fuse has been building this system to build apps end-to-end in one platform, and it's kind of amazing. It's component-driven, kind of like a React or something. It's it's a language. It's a framework. I don't know. How, how would you describe it, Brian? I think Fuse is solving problems in a space that Bryn and I have been really interested in for, I don't know, the past year. And it's about how do you actually build proper apps while still having the freedom and flexibility that comes with designing and prototyping. Should designers and engineers have actually different tools or should we all be working and playing in the same space? So that's what they've been working on is a way for anybody, including designers, to actually construct real production-ready apps with native code using tools that make it really easy and understandable. You can see your changes in real time as you collaborate with your team. You have desktop and mobile previewers. You can actually see how your app's working. It's pretty incredible. And I think it's going to change the way that designers and developers and teams think about building real apps. It makes it collaborative. It's declarative like you would get in code, but it has interaction and animation. The, the fact that you don't build a prototype, but an actual app is kind of amazing to me. Yeah. If you've heard of Unity, it's like that, but for building apps instead of building games. It has all it's the a pipeline. tools. Yeah. It has everything you need in one system. Uh, and of course, it comes with collaboration for your team. It's a real-time workflow. And anytime you make a change or an engineer makes a change, uh, that change is instantly reflected on your devices in the desktop simulator. Uh, it's incredibly powerful and it's gonna change the way that you think about designing. Also, if you've been wanting to build your own app, now that kind of stuff's accessible. And so that's what Brendan and I are super excited about. Uh, you can learn more at fusetools.com. Fuse is gonna help you build native iOS and Android apps with less code and better collaboration. Again, that's at fusetools.com. Thanks so much to Fuse. One other thing to tell you about quickly before we start the show. Our friend Gabe is putting on a conference. It's called Vectors. And it looks amazing. Gonna be amazing. Vectors is gonna be in Design Week, uh, during Design Week here in San Francisco. It's on June 15th. Uh, Tickets open on Monday. Yeah, tickets open on Monday, May 15th. So you'll have a month to get in. We couldn't be more excited about Gabe putting on a conference, having heard him talk about this idea for quite a while. Now it's happening. We're going to be there. You should be there. Some amazing speakers, which you can see in colorful illustration on their website, wearevectors.com. This website is gorgeous, by the way. Yeah. They're going to have awesome speakers like Robin Canner, Helena Price, Pablo Stanley, Maurice Cherry, Chikizia Giassi. Like, these are people who we've either had on the show or really wanted to have on the show or like people we've really looked up to. And man, I'm so excited for this like one awesome event. Yep do it go to wearevectors.com and uh if you're going to be in town or want to be in town june 15th here in san francisco uh you can get your ticket those tickets will open on monday all right so without further ado let's get into episode 197 with rachel bean okay are we recording now now we're live now we're yeah. live this is the real deal okay Whew. high pressure okay great um, I introduce myself. Mm-hmm. This is what, what, okay. Um, I am a creative director on the uh-huh. material design team at Google. What's your name? My name's Rachel Bean. <laughs> Perfect. An anonymous creative director. <laughs> I am just a designer. I'm just, you know, yeah, just, just a lady. What does it mean to work on 
creative direction for material design. What does that mean? Um, well, uh, material design is a system design team at Google. Should I explain what material design is? Yeah. Sure. A little bit? Okay. Let me have a sip of water before I do that. Oh, no. <laughs> what have we gotten ourselves into? I won't go deep. I won't go deep. You guys uh, have an hour? <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we, yeah, it could take an hour if you really wanted me to accu- accurately describe it. Um, material design is a system design team at Google. We launched uh, originally a few years ago to unify um, the design language, uh, both of, of Google products, but also of Android and really meant to be a very much a cross-platform team. So beyond just Android. Um but yeah, we came out with a system uh, of design that um, kind of covered both componentry and brand and style, sort of the whole the whole gamut of uh, necessities. It's a good word for, for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it is. The whole gamut of necessities for creating digital products. Um, and we were a pretty small, nimble team, and we've grown pretty rapidly to bring in more engineers and product managers. Um, is it no longer nimble? It's we're still nimble. We're still, still we still move quick. You know? uh, you said it in that, that tone of voice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's more of a it's a formidable organization now. Yeah. Um but I mean, yeah. there's a ton of stuff. There's a t- there's so much so yeah, let me it's get into like the weeds here. Stuff. It's uh so we do a lot. We work with um, both Google internal teams to kind of help shape a lot of the visual identity of Google products. But a lot of what we do also is external. So we work with hundreds of external third parties, and we call them third parties, external teams to Google to help them build their apps as well. Um, And now we work a lot just in um, another part of our group does just design, culture of design work. So we launched Google Design. Mm -hmm. We have our SPAN conference. and that's you know, under the material umbrella. That is under the material umbrella. Yeah, span and Google Design is under mm-hmm. material as well as design tooling. So, um, material.io is a good resource to go to to see some of these products. But, nice you know, plug. state exactly <laughs> material.io. We're going to crash your now. servers with all the traffic that yeah, comes your way. It's a lovely thing. There's a great video on there. Um, did you uh, creative direct it, art direct I, it? I didn't. My coworker did. Ugh. And he did a great job. I bet. He did. I'm just sad it wasn't you. They're beautiful shapes. (laughs) And uh, yeah. And so there's also design tooling that we've launched. Uh, We launched a little mini tool that's fun to play with the color tool recently. Mm -hmm. So so it's really tooling, design, culture, and community, the material guidelines uh, that we oversee. How long have you been on material design? That's a really good question. A few years, maybe. I was part of the group that originally launched it. Um, Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, I got brought in to basically do kind of the art direction and imagery for Google, uh, for material. Um, not for Google. <laughs> Let me backtrack. <laughs> I got, well, kind of, actually. Um, uh, I got brought in to do the the original art direction and the imagery guidelines for material design. What was the, like, goal? Like, what did they tell you <laughs> your job was? Goal? They're like, come in and Figure this out, solve. please. Um, like, yeah. how do you even describe that? Yeah, so I think we were we launched with a style section that, as you guys might have seen, contains sort of color, typographic guidelines, imagery guidelines. So it really was a focus on um, what are those imagery guidelines? How does this um, live within the specifications, the guidelines that are going external? What is every single image, every single sort of illustration and photography style that we're seeing that's representing material design? Um, and also working with some of the internal products that that were launching um, under the design of material or under mm-hmm. the system of materials, such as Inbox or mm-hmm. Calendar, 
Um, and how does that work with art direction in product? So that was sort of the original task that I got brought, brought in to work on. So I think a common confusion that I've had and I see a lot is like, you're, you're describing this like crazy system. Like what is material? When you say like, <laughs> oh, that thing uses material yeah. design. What does that mean? Is it, oh, they use the palette and a button or like they use the code yeah. for the things or do they have to use all of them? Like the animations, the code, the color, the, the, the set Such and the other? Such a good like, question. What does it mean to use material yeah, design? Yeah, I think I'm not going to be able to fully answer that today in the time that we have, <laughs> but I can I can answer it partially maybe. Yeah. Um, I think our intention um, of originally with material design was to create something that uh, – if you use, if you really just kind of go in the spec and you grab our sticker sheets and you use our components and you put together an app, um, that space line that looks like a lot of the the visual design in, in our spec, we call it spec, our material design guidelines. That's, that's what that's we call our company. Yeah, you know? spec? Oh, yeah. that's right. That's our so, network, yeah. I know. So we're kind of on the same page here. <laughs> <laughs> we're basically the same. <laughs> yeah, spec. I'm working on spec. You're on spec. Uh-huh. Um, oh, we're coworkers now. Cool. We're coworkers. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's why you've been in the lunchroom. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, you should come come to Google for food. Um, Thanks for the invite. Yeah, now sure. that we have no income, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, I forgot what I was saying. Sorry. Spec. No, it's okay. So people maybe can come it, in and grab components pitch. out of the sticker sheet. Yeah, you have a spec. So and lunch can, out of the lunchroom. Yeah, and you can, you know, <laughs> lunch out of the lunchroom and snacks in our micro kitchens. Um, and that's very much material design, right? Because you're you're using um, sort of the default resources that we've given you, and it looks there's. I think as much as we try to sort of avoid just having one monolithic uh, visual representation of material design, because it really is a system, not just a single single style. Um, that it started to perpetuate into a style. So some of the imagery work I did, for example, with this great photographer called Carl Kleiner, where we had these super bright poppy colors, um, abstract photography sort of became this emblematic visual of material design or our color palette using these really bright poppy complementary mm-hmm. colors became very emblematic of what material design is. Some of our componentry, like fab, the fab, you know, which is mm-hmm. the singular action button. Like, floating action button. Yes, that's the actual <laughs> ac- acronym for it. Let's call it the SAB. Which is funny because when you say FAB to like non-designers, they're like, oh yeah, we're just going to throw a FAB over there. I think they they think you're abbreviating fabulous. <laughs> like, yeah, just add the FAB. They're like, what? The <laughs> no, 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 the floating action button. The floating button. action button. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, if you talk to Android engineers, it's very clear. Like, yeah. They're like, they know exactly what's happening. They know well, what the FAB I would is. hope so. Yeah, so is it, it's a tool for engineers then. Material design, Mm -hmm. I think partially. Yeah, Yeah, I think we see material as a tool for engineers, Uh as a tool for designers. Um, Hopefully a tool for product managers to sell design. When when starting up a project like that, how did you look at what was kind of already in the, I guess, vicinity? Like Apple's Hig is like the clear example. And we always talk about material in that context, right? It's it's the Android version. versus material are like, those are the two big ones, right? Well, there's like two very distinct approaches. Like, the HIG is in the developer like site and material mm-hmm. seems to be more, it, it originally seemed more like it was aimed at engineers, but lately it seems more focused on designers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some things like HIG is a very like, I don't know, human interface guidelines yeah. sounds very engineering, right. whereas material design is like, it says design in the word. Um, well, I think the team that originated material design really was design centric. So mm-hmm. um we, basically what happened, there was no material design team. It was 
conglomerate. It was an mm-hmm. accumulation of designers from Android, um, from this this group called UXA, which was originally a part of Creative Lab, um, from Chrome, from um, a small team of really talented designers called Art Department. Uh, so that was like <laughs> Where in do you marketing, work? Art and department. they had worked on some of the Ke- Kennedy. So Kennedy was a design system yeah, before yeah. Mm-hmm. material design, and they'd worked on some of the original iconogra- uh, iconography guidelines. Mm-hmm. So it was this group of hodgepodge of designers that had come together. Um, to work on the system. So originally it was formed by designers. Uh, and then quickly a lot of engineers, well, not a lot in the beginning, but engineers got brought into the fold to actually make a lot of things that is we were creating. Is it supported a lot in like APIs for different like aspects? Is it support, is material design supported yeah. through a lot of APIs? Yeah. I mean, there's a, yes, it is, but I think we want to do more. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that, you know, things that we're showcasing in design can be built you can you can see a fab very quickly and easily in very mm-hmm. definitive code that's yeah. not sort of spread throughout code pen and 700 different iterations of what a fab <laughs> should should look like and behave like yeah i think i mean if i'm being honest that's been the hardest part for me to get behind with the material design is like very clear visual design guidelines but not implementation guidelines yes are like still fragmented which which is a work in th- progress that, that, I, I again can't yeah. hold, hold that against feels anyone feels kind of the opposite of Hig, like some of the things that I think about when I think about material design are the color palette, which is like very upfront, and then the icons, which Apple doesn't give you icons, and Mm -hmm. their color palette stuff is the stuff I ignore. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like material, maybe this is how I feel, and you can maybe add some more detail to this. I feel like material is more aspirational. Like Mm -hmm. this is the future that we think is good for the world, and the Hig is like, here's what exists today that you should use as like a best practice based on what we have in code. Like, Like more literal, and material is more like... Here's the vision. No, I think that's a that's a really it's a really good thing. I mean, I agree. <laughs> I think, I agree with, I, I think yeah. it's a good thing, but Th- I think I agree with good. you. It's, it's it's nice to have both, right? I think the sweet spot that we're trying to work towards is to be aspirational, but also very implementable. Right, right. So yeah, yeah, you that's know, like the dream. That's that's what we're really kind of pushing for. Is we like I mentioned before, there was this idea that material design is sort of this monolithic thing that we use the color palette and you have a fab and you have an app bar and like that's material design, this very specific type of interface. Whereas we see we you know, we we give material design awards and actually Airbnb we mm-hmm. gave a material design award. And pocket award. casts. And pocket casts. And pocket cast actually is is a more kind of traditional material design interface. Yeah. And it's an awesome app. Yep. Um, but Airbnb is less so, right? It doesn't necessarily have that colored app bar, fab type, more kind of monolithic look and feel for material. Mm-hmm. But we said definitely this is a material design app. The considered use of design, the typography, et cetera, uh-huh. these, these aspects of style really represent our system. How do those awards get picked? <laughs> that I cannot reveal. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, can't, can't talk about how. Um, Can we get an award? Maybe. I mean, we haven't built anything. But yeah, it might be tough just, if you don't have any visuals. Can we just have one of like the the trophies or whatever? It is. They are well, beautiful trophies. When we launch Spectrum on Android, then yeah, we'll do it. We'll exactly. for sure win it. That's yeah. actually F- the only reason. Follow re- the guidelines <laughs> and then you'll win it. Unless you're Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> but Airbnb did. You know, I mean, I think, and, and I think it's important that, you know, again, I said this earlier, but we really see material design as a system. And to some degree, it's just a system for what we believe is good design um, and not just, okay, I follow the sticker sheet. It's, it's not just prescription. Style. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's not prescription. But again, it's finding that line between 
giving enough flexibility with very implementable code and very, mm-hmm. and, and, and also from the design side, g- guidelines that you can actually follow and understand what you're doing. Um, it's, it's, it's a fine line between being kind of too loose and open and aspirational and flexible and then not really having something that someone can easily build is tricky. Mm-hmm. So you've started building tools recently. Yeah, we've come out with a few. Yep. And we, and we had some before, right? You, you mentioned go slash I, or, uh, the iconography site. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, that's a design tool. But like you're, you're getting into like literally interface, like, how do I describe this? Like a tool with an actual like interface that you yeah. adjust things. Mm-hmm. And what's the future of material? Like you're, you're building tools. You're building, you've, Google has invested a lot of effort into these new types mm-hmm. of interfaces. What, what does material become? Well, I can't talk too much about what what's your the five-year roadmap. Yeah, can you just is? tell us like the next? <laughs> um, you will see soon. Mm. Is my answer to nice. that. But I do think, in general, um, as a team, we're very cognizant about tooling. That tooling is obviously very important. I think it's definitely something that a lot of design systems have been talking about as as kind of a buzzword and a buzz concept right now is design tooling. Um, you know, familiar. It's, it's, <laughs> we don't have to go into the depths. John Maeda did a great sort of survey about tooling, et cetera. Well, like, not to distract yeah. too much, but design system is like the hot word right now. Exactly. And everyone says they're working on design systems uh-huh. when in fact, a lot of times they mean they're working on style guides. Yes. So how, that is a very you, good point. So tell me how you differentiate the two and what it means for you to be working sure. on a design system. Yes. That's a good question. Yes. So um, it drives me like actually it doesn't drive me nuts. I just think about it. It's like they have to be different things. Totally. They're, they're and, and they are. I think conceptually the idea of they're like part, um, they're like a Venn diagram. Maybe. Yeah. Sometimes I think about. Ooh. <laughs> so I'm like thinking through this out loud, <laughs> just like cutting you off no, instead no, of just letting no, me answer. No, I think it's a super good idea. I, sometimes I think about, ooh, it would be so nice to to work on a singular brand. Hmm. You know, you can make these really prescriptive decisions, and you can. It's that sounds so fun, and I don't want to say easy. It's not easy at all. But <laughs> I mean, I think what we're doing is we are trying to make a system that works for thousands of products. So. Um, and that hits kind of the best standards for UX and visual design. Um, and again, it's that interplay between be, between being hyper-prescriptive that allows, um, you know, any app across the world to build something while also maintaining flexibility to be to, – for being mm-hmm. culturally sensitive and aware of their brand guidelines and allowing brands to express themselves within material design, right, while allowing them to actually build something. So I think – I see both as system work. I, I think brand guidelines, that is a design system for sure. Okay. Um, but this is a little bit of a different thing where we're we're in this in this interplay zone where we're trying not to be hyper specific, whereas mm-hmm. material design actually has a very specific brand that you must adapt hmm. to use material design. Um so so we so for specific brands that have their own identity. We want them to use the material design system to express their brand within their product. Can I ask you some harder questions? Sure. So if you want material design to be used around the world, how do you know that you're meeting the needs of the world, right? Yeah. We live in San Francisco. Totally. It's basically the world, right? There's nothing else outside of this. Here's a perfect example. No, this is a great question. In my mind, it's perfect because... Most ideas I come up with are perfect. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you called that out. Thank material you. design is like, for me, it feels breathable and roomy, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's lots of space. Uh, 
huge China, huge app bar, blah blah. <laughs> But if you go to a place mm -hmm. like、um, India, for example, where maybe screen sizes are smaller, yeah, like is that the best place to use Material, or would it be better suited well, for something else?、Question. And like, how does the Material design team think about building an interface for people that? Don't have big phones. Like we think、us. about it every day. Honestly, we have conversations about that every day.、Um, it is literally something we we think and talk about every day for the decisions that we're making within the system.、Um, we we've heard from teams that we've worked with in China, for example, that who that have tried to adapt material design and have just felt. Exactly what you said. Sort of the breathability, the white space, etc., just isn't actually applicable stylistically to their market.、Um, And we firmly believe that we can we can work with those teams to to implement material that's more culturally specific for those markets. Yeah.、Right? So then, what does that mean? Like, is then what is material if it's like different for every culture that wants it to be different? Well, see, that's like, interesting. Like, that's kind of the polar opposite of what people talk about with design systems. Does a design system have too much room? Everyone complains about. Well, does this restrict my creativity? Does this make things、mm -hmm. too homogenous? Like. You kind of have to walk a pretty fine line. Yeah, you do, and、But、exactly like, that. <laughs> we're cutting her off every five seconds. <laughs> no, I know.、Uh, I'm just thinking, like, is it aspirational to have all of the user interfaces in the world look and feel the same? I don't think so. I I do not. I do. I do not believe that. Okay.、Uh, I I believe that's also, like you said, very culturally blind, right? Like. For us to say that the aesthetic standard of what a des、uh, product design should look like is white and spacious and airy is is really culturally egocentric.、Mm -hmm. um, there's different aesthetics around the world, and I think that we as a design system need to be cognizant of that and help work with those specific products to bring their aesthetic vision to life. Right? I mean, I think there's we have responsibilities as for creating a design system around.、Um, Functionality, legibility,、uh, standards in terms of usability, right?、Um, and there is definitely aesthetics that, from a baseline perspective, that we believe in for our design system. But I think for our system not to be adoptable or adaptable within those markets, we're not a good enough design system if we can't、yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. That、That's、seems like what I believe. What are, What is the biggest challenge for you right now? Oh God, <laughs> is, is that? That for me personally, or、hard. for the material design team,、um, for you on the material design team, like what? That that's a challenge is really making this, really making the system、uh, culturally adaptable or adoptable,、um, because it's hard. Because you know we do have very prescriptive guidelines. Like currently, if you look in the spec, we have very prescriptive guidelines around lists,、mm -hmm. menus, where the typo typographic spacing. But if you notice, our original spec, if you notice, was written in English, right?、Mm -hmm. And there's very different typographic rules for English than there is for CJK.、Mm -hmm. So, and we and we do talk about this in the typ typography section. For those who don't、CJK. know, that's Chinese, Japanese, Korean. Exactly.、Um, and we do mention this, and we do talk about this currently in the spec. But you know, there's a lot more we could do, sort of aesthetically around.、Yeah. Really being more cognizant of different typefaces beyond Latin and and Latin-like languages,、mm -hmm. right? So there's there's an infinite amount of work that we could continue doing to make it more to make material more globally accessible, and I think we're very committed as a team to doing that. This is I always right to left is crazy too. This kind、yeah. of stuff when it's like, wow, there's so many people working on material design. Like, what do they even do? But then it's like, oh, 
Yeah, this kind of like intense, intense stuff. Yeah, typography alone could have an army of designers thinking about that, right? Totally. Engineers as well. Yeah. And I didn't mean that insultingly. It's, it's no, like it's, the common, it's, like... He just does that. Google has so many designers. What do they even do all day? It's like, well, they think about, like, every problem in every market for yeah. every screen size. Like, yeah, you forget about the scale of yeah. some of the decisions that we have to make sometimes. Mm-hmm. So It's easy to think about the depth, like, product-wise, uh-huh. but it's really hard to think about the, the breadth across markets, which is crazy. Yeah, it's important. It's important that we do that. Yeah, because um, there's a lot of great design coming out of, for example, f- of China, mm-hmm. and you know we can't just ignore them because we're like, oh, they don't use enough white space in their apps. That's just again really culturally blind. Do you guys think that uh, I'm kind of parroting here the there was a Quora thing last week about uh, why design systems are so hot right now and <laughs> David uh, Coles? Yeah, both David and Adam McKellabo said like UI design is becoming commoditized, mm. like. We don't really have to think about it that much. And so the design system is like the higher level way to think about building products. And we don't really have to think about UI anymore. Do you feel like material design has commoditized UI? Hmm. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting sort of where the future of UI is going. I mean, I think there's a few different directions that that this could go. And it's like when... We when like the 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 baseline of creating a good design is really easily accessible, whether it's through a design system, whether it's through uh, machine learning and automation, right? Like, what is the special sauce that we as designers bring to product design, digital mm-hmm. product design? When digital product design disappears, what do we as digital designers bring? Right? Who are we? <laughs> <laughs> Who are we? What are we actually doing? Yeah. Um, so I think. Why design systems are so hot right now is the the humanization of something that potentially in the future could be automated, mm-hmm. right, very easily, or the humanization. Um, we're literally of, writing the rules for it, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. We're building like, the automation process, right? We are, we hundred percent are, and there's something really exciting about that because then what's the next level of creativity that you can bring to an interface that's automated? What are the harder problems we can now solve because we don't have to worry about the baseline stuff? Exactly. And that's actually the value proposition of some degree of what for mm-hmm. material design. If we give you a baseline system, you can grab it and you can make it. And if you're an engineer that has no design training, you can create something that looks nice. But then what do you do from there? Mm-hmm. What, how do you actually flex that system to make it really unique? Right. Um did I, did I answer your question? I don't really remember what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever does. <laughs> I mean. It's asking about commoditization of design. Yeah. Mm. I'm like trying to ask it in a way that doesn't really reflect the way I, I feel about it. But um, <laughs> We're so all going to be replaced by robots. Y- yeah. I'm into that. Like if. Right? If the, For some things. <laughs> if you can create a baseline yeah. that looks and functions well and meets accessibility mm-hmm. standards and works on screen sizes out of the box and like does all this kind of stuff, then what's the, what are we doing? Because creativity is, is sort of breaking those rules, right? Like that's, and if you think about a lot of the time sort of machine learning or automation, a lot of that is based on training data of pre-existing standards, right? So, I mean, I think we're seeing some interesting things about breaking the rules and creativity using machine learning and and music. Will you tell me about the machine learning? Like, what does that mean when it comes to Design. Design uh, Have you not seen sunglass vectors? (laughs) What? There's a a vector thing online. There's a a thing where you can 
adjust the sunglass vector of a face and sunglasses will pop out of their face yeah, or see? the makeup vector or the beard vector or whatever. Or and recognizing like, dogs and but plants. But you said machine learning in the context of UI design. Yeah, yeah. so just adding sunglasses to every <laughs> button. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. there's people that have been thinking about this. Like the yeah. grid is the most exactly public example I can think of. It's exactly. like we're going to yeah. automate the way you the website looks based on the content that you put in the images that like, didn't necessarily turn out, but the people who came out of that. Right, right, right. Really it's like awesome the thinking work. behind what does machine learning do to the design community. Yeah. And I think of, uh, if you look at people that are just learning mm -hmm. design now is UI design the best thing to be learning or mm -hmm. is it a different set of skills? Like thinking about, I don't know, system stuff or machine learning stuff or AI, like what should a new designer be learning besides how to make buttons. Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think what's interesting about some of the stuff, at least I am not an engineer and I do not know how to use TensorFlow or do any of this stuff. Me but, neither. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. How to I can do use it. that catify thing. Have you seen that? Where you do you doodle something and it turns it into a cat? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it tries to apply a cat to it. <laughs> Um, but I, I think there's a really interesting some I've been, have been working with some teams that are thinking about this in a really um, interesting way. We have a team um, within Google uh, called uh, AMI, and they do called Artists and Machine Intelligence. There's this awesome artisan team. artists. Oh, artisan, said artisan it's machine like, intelligence. It's on Etsy. <laughs> you know, they create things out of machine learning. It's and bespoke them. machine learning. And they're this they're this really awesome team that has you know I think like part of the deep dream uh, imagery has come out of that team and et cetera. And they're just doing really interesting stuff around research, machine intelligence, design and art. Yeah. And there's super fascinating team to talk to and work with. Um, but I think what's interesting about a lot of uh, the things that we're seeing with that is you need good inputs, right? Um, you need good training data. You need domain experts that are potentially training to create good outputs. So without sort of expertise, it's not like it's not like machines are going to create these great things out of nowhere. You plug in some numbers and they're going to give you something good. That what those numbers need to have validity based on domain expertise. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, like automation can be really good in many ways to kind of get you going. And we've had forms of automation. We've had sticker sheets. We've had grid systems, right? That is a form of automation to get you going. But uh, someone needs to make those systems. Someone needs to define what's originally considered good. Eight. 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 Eight, eight, is, eight is the eight correct is number. Good. You guys like eight? <laughs> I love eight. Eight's I wrote a, a long post on eight point grids, which was like my most popular thing I've ever produced, I think. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a good number. It's a good number. It's a good number. Um, no, I, so you were talking about how creativity, creativity is about breaking rules. I think it's, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I think it's different ways to apply rules. Like you're really just choosing which set of rules to follow, right? And learning new ways to apply them. Yeah. I think, well, I don't think creative is only about breaking rules. I think you need to understand the rules. I mean, this has been said multiple yeah, yeah. times. You need to understand the rules to break them. Pablo Picasso, Holy great example shit, of that. that was the most insane quote ever. Great artist steal. I really don't <laughs> think. Yeah, oh, my God. That needs to be on Pablo. like a yeah. canvas tote bag or something. Like not a revolutionary <laughs> concept here. But yeah. Um, but, yeah, I do believe that. And I think – you know, it's it's uh, things that are really unexpected are often incredibly creative. So, and it's I don't think we're 100 percent there yet, where automation leads to consistent flow of unexpected good things. Hmm. <laughs> I'm excited for how individuals can harness that automation within like 
a design process mm -hmm. rather than like the whole using machine automation versus like machine replacement mm -hmm. is like super interesting. Like machine enhancement, I yeah. guess. Yeah, enhancement. Like don't replace the designer, just make the designer a thousand times faster. But isn't the design system already doing that? Like I was saying before. Yeah. Well, yeah. not when you have to manually systems. implement it, right? Um, but That's if what you have to manually implement it, but if we have a code base where you can just grab it, mm -hmm. and if we have sticker sheets where you can just, or sketch plugins where you just bring it in. Is there not a React material library already? There is. There, yeah, there's yeah. one. Yeah. So now with React Sketch, you're done. There you go. Everything in. Dunsky. Um, but no, but like that is to some degree a degree of automation, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. right? But I would just say it's like, it seems further towards the beginning of the curve of where we're going to be. Totally in the beginning uh, of the curve. Yeah, which is exciting. Because it's, they're still static, right? Yeah, There's yeah. still these static right, right. UIs that that aren't cognizant of what you need from the get-go of your product. Right. Um, but I think what we're moving towards is uh, resources that are more reactive to what you actually need. And, and what that you're feels like doing. building tools for us to interact with, us being designers that are building products outside of Google. So like, give us the tools to combine the things based on our inputs like exactly make this magic for us give me the thing exactly it's like i have these specific needs i don't want to use the material design palette my color isn't in there what do i do with color in my product hey google make my app for me make my app for me pretty soon uh -oh. we're Not just outsourcing voice, just voice ui for design tools <laughs> yeah oh shit hey make that a list item <laughs> wait uh what's google saying hey google you say or okay google hey google okay google Okay, Google. Make me a sick app. Yeah. And then you just got this dope app on there your phone. There you go. <laughs> Future of material design. Make me it, a sick app. The phone app. does it itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like this world. Yeah. It's a cool feature. <laughs> so you've been thinking about design systems for, what, four years now? Yeah. Four and a half uh, years? Yeah. So, uh, well, no. I mean, when I was at Billboard... For Oh, okay. Well, yeah. this is where I'm okay, going. So before material, yeah. before material, before material, let's back up. How I, did you get to material? How did I get to material? Um, I was uh, the art director on mm -hmm. Google Play. Mm -hmm. um, Google Play at that time was undergoing a redesign and thinking about specifically about editorial experiences within the product uh, and also imagery and brand. Um, so <clears throat> they brought me in to think about those things. What would more visual experiences just to think about to them? Think about this? just yeah, to think, not to actually do anything, <laughs> but just to sit and think. Wow, what's what's Rachel up to over there? I don't know. She's, she's just thinking. been kind of like sitting, just staring at, at the windows. <laughs> you just have to pose like this all day. Hmm. Yeah. This is really, really good audio content. I just did that. That was bad. Really I should know better than that. Um, Rodan's the thinker. So you thought a lot. <laughs> so I thought a lot. Yeah, that no, sounds nice. Yeah, it was great. Uh, <laughs> but we started to, to do some cool things with with Google Play. We so we redesigned the mm -hmm. app, which was a really good redesign. Um, moving away from kind of hollow <laughs> style, not trying to brag, <laughs> trying to brag, but did a real good job well, on it. Pretty good. You know, introducing sort of the the card model and uh, bringing up the brightness a little bit from sort of the hollow style. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and and a lot of what I was kind of tasked with was uh, what is the visual identity of of Google Play within an app that has tons of other visual content, um, and what are some of those more visual editorial experiences? What do they look like? Um, what's, so an, did, what's an example? Like yeah, the thing. If I think of Google Play, I think of the icons and the colors. It's like mm -hmm. green, purple, orange. Yeah, the blue. icons for the different categories. Yeah. 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 So so one of the things I did was. Um, introduce the idea of illustration as 
heroizing certain specials. So mm-hmm. before there, there was basically the little Android bot was mm-hmm. like, we have a Valentine's Day special and with being an Android bot with a heart, for example. Um, but one of the things I started to do was hiring really good illustrators and photographers to create some of these editorial specials, as well as designing the experience that these editorial specials would live in. So, you know, we worked with some just awesome, awesome illustrators and photographers. Um, I remember one of the thing, the first things we did is we hired Craig and Carl. I don't know if you know those guys. Great little illustration duo uh-uh. um, to do sort of our summer package. And it was the first time we were like, wow, we're hiring these really good illustrators to come in and do Google Play when uh, two months ago we had just the Android bot with a heart. So um, it was one of the, you know, one of the first times we're like, oh, art direction and product, that that could be cool. That could be something. Hiring, you know, Olympia Zagnoli to do this super weird psychedelic illustration for Father's Day. It's just like, what is this? Why is this in Google Play? Why is this in a store? But it was just sort of experimental and fun and elevating the kind of some of the levels of artwork that was um, disparate from the actual uh, content in in that app. Um, so that was one of the first things that I came in and did. Yeah. What did you like? What? How did you think of Google Play? Like, how did you think this is or come up with this is what do we want it to feel like? This is the this is the way it should make people feel because Google Play is like a place that you search for stuff. It's like an app store, store, right? And then, and then yeah. you leave, right? Yeah, it's a marketplace, right? So it's like, it, the question was how much identity, how much editorialization do we want to bring to the right, store without right. just putting the content first? Yeah. Um, it's It was a hard thing to figure out. I mean, I think the identity of Google Play is, is somewhat playful, right? You've got the different colors nice, and nice. icons and you're like that double uh-huh. entendre. Or, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we were, we, you know, I think at that time, we wanted it to feel like a super visual, really beautiful experience where there was more of a brand identity coming from Google Play and Google, um, as well as really promoting content and pushing that in the forefront as well. So big images, big illustrations, um, playing with typography a lot in some of these editorial pages um, and looking at some of the, the the brand guidelines and how we were playing with color. Uh, color extraction and the actual brand colors and iconography and product hmm. icons, et cetera, how they lived with all of these visual assets. Um, it's a hard thing to do, you know, especially when you have so much content coming in from different providers right. to not overwhelm that content with the Google brand or with the Google Play brand. Yeah. Also, like if some of the content is bad or like yeah. um, there's probably apps and content and movies that aren't playful. And yeah. like, how do you think about those things inside of a playful context? Like, you ban them. Here's documentaries yeah. about like sad shit. Yeah, <laughs> sad shit. And documentaries. Like, here's our summer special with like the psychedelic. Totally, it's a really good question. Um, I think that's sort of inevitable. You, you know, I, good content providers are going to have the combination. I'm sure you know Netflix deals with the same sort of thing, where you have really serious documentary content or really serious books. Uh, Serious music, some Ser- fuck, you know, <laughs> <That's> some serious <laughs> music, <laughs> uh, intermixed in a in an environment that has really playful things, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's making a system that you know allows uses various degrees of visual design to make those experiences really explicit for kind of the tone of those experiences. Hmm. Um, so, for example, you know, we we did 
do some basic color extraction to create banners. And so if something, a, a kid's app was super bright and purple, we would use, you know, bright purple for the banner and you'd go into the experience and you'd have that that burst of color. But a documentary that was maybe more monochromatic and dark wouldn't necessarily have a bright purple banner. Yeah, so that's probably little, little a good details thing. details like that. It's a good detail. Yeah. Yeah. Color kind of solves a lot of that, seems color, like. Color is the one of the easiest and quickest read indicators of it gives really good context cues yeah it wait does. quickest in indicators of what brand and tone hmm. right so and information it's right if you have something i mean there's a lot of semantics associated with color for example and semantics change cross-culturally but like if you see something that's bright red yeah they we as north americans have a very specific association with what bright red means versus green right uh-huh. so, and what about in china it's different. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And that's that's the hard thing about color, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Color means different things. That is both awesome and interesting, but also incredibly frustrating for it me. Is. Like, it's hard to systematize there's color. There's like no right answers. <laughs> Can't we just all be the same? <laughs> that was sarcasm. <laughs> but kind of. No. <laughs> okay, sure. What about before Google Play? Um, I was uh, I was a creative director for Billboard online. Uh-huh. Um, so I before before Google, I was in editorial design. Yeah, uh, totally a different world in New York. So that, um, like when I think about Billboard, I think about the chart system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you work on that, or were you kind of on the magazine side? There's a magazine. There is a magazine. <laughs> I wasn't on the print side. I worked online, so okay. Billboard.com. So I was the CD for that. Um, and one of the first things that I did when I came in is. At the time, there was no, again, similar to Google Play, there was no original imagery. We were pulling from Getty and, you know, like we we would do some video work with yeah. artists, but we would never. So we had some proprietary videos, but we wouldn't shoot it and we wouldn't create these big editorial um, pieces around it beyond just like kind of throwing a video up on the site. And so some of the things that I did with uh, the video producer when she came in around the same time as me is build uh, a studio, is build a video photography studio for Billboard. That's dope. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was it was literally like, oh God, I remember it was myself and Lisa and Matt, who was our the head of video, uh, putting up the soundproofing because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like build, buying furniture from Ikea to port into the studio, yeah, yeah. you know, like buying snacks from Costco for the artists to come in. And it was really DIY. Um, who was the favorite, your favorite artist you worked with? Oh, man. So there was a lot of really good artists. We had very few bad artists. Who is your favorite? uh, Who's the worst? They're probably listening, so just be very careful who you pick. You know, so before we actually built the studio, there was a a period of time, a few months where, where we were. (laughs) This was we we were at we worked out of a building, uh, an Astor Place in New York, and there was sort of an abandoned, if not sort of, there was an abandoned floor. um, I guess another company had moved out of um, on our very top floor, and there was just detritus of chairs and desks and things that were just sort of left over from this. And we had a little mini studio there. So we would bring artists into this weird, spooky, abandoned floor Mm -hmm. for recording sessions. Um, But what was cool about this space is for some odd reason, there was walls with bright colors painted around the floor. Um, So it was really awesome for taking portraits of different artists. Um, so I also, because I was a photographer, I would shoot a lot. I would assign a lot, but I would also assign myself a lot. Um, so some, we had some really <laughs> only on my favorite artist. Only on my, oh man, only I guess I'll take artist. this one. <laughs> totally. 
Um, so we had some really just funny experiences with bringing artists into the space and finding these walls in the midst of office garbage and setting them up. And they were always game. I remember we brought in Nicki Minaj and we shot her in front of this bright red wall and we found this chair that we just kind of put in front of the wall and she ended up like piercing it with her massive heel and going through the chair. Oh my God. <laughs> and, we, you know, we were all cracking up laughing. We were like, destroy it, you know? It's like we're in the middle of this weird trash And let us photo you while you yeah. do it. Yeah. You know, it was just such a strange or there was this one red shag chair that when we brought in, I think it was little John, when we brought him, he was like, this chair. And he was like, I'm <laughs> sitting on this chair. And we put that in front of a yellow wall. And it's like little John on an office red shag chair and a yellow wall. That's cool. Um, Janelle Monet was awesome to work with. There was another blue wall that we shot her on. And she's... All the primaries. All the primaries. It was very strange. It was a very strange That's actually where building. the inspiration for the material colors came from. Oh, my God. Exactly. Those walls. Oh, those, no. Those walls, really, in that, <laughs> in that broke down office. Um, you know? And she just... She was like, do you want me to jump? I was like, well, yes, of course I want you to jump. Now that you mention it. <laughs> kind of now. <laughs> you know, and she did this perfectly beautiful jump. And she was like, I was a gymnast. In my, you know, so just stories like that. I kind of artists. expect Janelle Monáe to do everything perfectly. That's she kind of her awesome. thing. She was great. We And we would just have so much fun because it was such a weird circumstance. It was highly unprofessional in a sense. You know, we were in this broke down that's office great. building. I feel like um, that's a nice. But it was so fun. Fun. Yeah. We had people throwing paper planes. We had Sarah Bareilles shooting poppers. We had shooting what? No, that's that's wrong. Like those like, pop- <laughs> poppers are uh, drugs. She was, shoot, no, no. She was shooting Sarah up Bareilles. in his office. Yeah, we just we got no, so no, no. high. It was those gnarly. like you know those those things yeah, that you yeah. pull that explode. Yeah. You know, yeah. we had her doing that. We had oh god, just we would just have artists do th- and they would just to them and it was fun sounds like a blast yeah it was a blast it was really it was a strange it was a strange thing meeting all these awesome artists and then that was part of my job yeah um seems very very different yeah than google play yeah it was i mean we did a few things with one of the things that i wanted to bring in was we doing more kind of that type of photography and we actually did at the time have a video producer doing work so we did uh, Lauren was awesome. She created some really great mini docs around with Kendrick Lamar, for example, and doing some really awesome work. And so I started in tandem hiring photographers or shooting with her to kind of bring that photography onto the site. So, you know, I, I was thinking of we did one with George Saunders for the release of his new book. Uh, we shot Brandy, you know, um, and bringing that that original photography content um, onto Google Play, which yeah. we had just pulled again from The Wire. Yeah. There had been no one thinking about creating that work before. It's awesome. So um, that was fun. How did you get into this line of work? Like what got, what made you go down the design road? Or like creative? Down. Yeah. So I, I started uh, after after college. I was hired to be a photo director for AOL Latino Music. Wow. Um, I spoke Spanish. <laughs> I had lived in Spain and I spoke Spanish fluently. So I had been brought in to basically lead that effort is really niche, like AOL music, but specifically for the, you know, called AOL music Latino. Um, and it was so fun. It was just this great time where I, again, similar to Billboard, but I was working with a lot of reggaeton artists like Daddy mm-hmm. Yankee, et cetera. And I was, 
uh, producing a lot of shoots. And I, I did a was, paper for my music class on great. Daddy Yankee. He's, he was great. <laughs> he was awesome. I mean, it was like such a weird thing to transition from college into this. Um, but pretty soon into the job, I was like, well, all of this work that we're producing is not looking so good when it's actually appearing online, right? It's in these small modules for photo galleries. This is this is not this is not great. I need to understand how this is made and designed so I can help improve when when I hire someone to take a photograph that it looks better. So I started working with a team at AOL who was kind of our our little mini superstar design team, some really good designers on that to build out um, experiences specific to photography um, and to specific to multimedia and video. And then from there, just started working more and more and more on that type of thing. So you went um, straight from college to like really thinking about digital experiences yeah. with I've only worked online. Yeah. I've never worked in a print atmosphere. What did you study in college? Art history. Huh. Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to do at that point? Uh I thought I was gonna be a photojournalist. Yeah. Because I was shooting a lot. Um but I, I was the I was I was the photo uh, director for the UCLA newspaper. Whoa! Yeah, big time. So no, actually, it's a great newspaper, and Wait, it had. Yeah, yeah. Tell me more. You want to be a photojournalist? Like, yeah, that's. Yeah, it was. I, I, I really, I loved shooting. I did a lot of work for UCLA. Um, I was the main sports photographer at the time for UCLA. Went to the Final Four and all that. Actually, I don't know if I ended up going to the final, final four. I think it was the final before the final four. The Elite Eight. <laughs> the Eight. The Elite Eight. I think I was there. But don't quote me because I really don't remember. Hang college. on. I'm going to quote you. Um, but it was a good <laughs> That's team. That's going to be the poll quote for this episode. <laughs> I was at the final four. I was at the final four. I was at the <laughs> final before the final four. Yes. Um, but I would shoot football and baseball. And I was one of the main sports photographers for UCLA. And I loved it. It's awesome to shoot sports. Gets a little repetitive sometimes. Um, very fast lenses all the time. Very fast, very big lenses. The ones mm -hmm. for football we carry. Telephoto? Telephoto, for sure. It was funny because I was one of the few women actually doing that work. So we'd have men that would be like, hey, sweetheart, do you want me to carry your lens for you? And I'd be like, sure. <laughs> so the, the yeah, guys great. would carry my lens. I would grab it, say thanks, and then steal the spot that they wanted because Dope. they still had to carry their lens. Idiots. Idiots. Rookie <laughs> shit. Ne ne never offer to carry someone else's lens when you're in a competitive shooting atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of that work and enjoyed it. But I realized that as much as I love shooting, I loved editing and doing more of the editorial direction. Um, so I was like, okay, instead of photojournalism, I think I want to be a photo director and go more into that. Um, because I like controlling the situation a little bit more. I don't wake up every morning wanting to shoot, but I do wake up every morning think wanting to think about, uh, the way that a lot of photography is displayed mm -hmm. in an editorial atmosphere, mm -hmm. an editorial circumstance. So that's sort of how I moved my photography experience into kind of the, more of the photo direction and design and editorial design. Okay. And so AOL reached out to you? You reached out to AOL? I was actually applying for a job at National Geographic. Mm. And I had gone to D.C. to interview with National Geographic Um and the 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 so my very good friend Tyson Evans, who is now doing unbelievably great work at the New York Times, um, he was doing a lot of editorial strategy work, and I think now he's on opinion. But he's he's oh, he's great. He came from a design background. He had been working in a lot of newspapers. He introduced me to um, a person who had known about the um, National Geographic job. 
So I'd gone out there as a thank you. I had dinner, you know, just to thank him for, you know, giving me the job offer. And he was like, you know, actually, you know, if this doesn't work out, my wife is a photo director at AOL. Um, Do you mind if I hand your resume to her? Because they're looking for someone and this, your resume is pretty good for this job. So that's how it, how it happened. National Geographic didn't work out and uh, that did. Gotcha. So that's how I moved to D.C. Okay, so now I'm trying to connect the dots here. So you, you came into AOL to do photos. You learned about the digital side. Yep. Did you ever like formally study like digital product design or like no. when did you start getting into the the technical stuff that you know now? Yeah. It's like around here's how we build UI. Like yeah. how did that transition happen? I started teaching myself to some degree when I was, uh, how old was I? I guess it's like 10 years ago now. Teaching myself. I mean, at that time there wasn't, Oh, really learning on the job was, well, I hadn't gone, I hadn't done a design program at UCLA. I had always been more on the photo side and I'd worked with a lot of designers at the newspaper that were doing editorial design, um, but I hadn't traditionally formally studied it. So I was very aware of it um, and I worked with a lot of designers, but again, it was more visual. Um, but one of the immediate things that when I came into working digital was like, God, these experiences could be more. I actually started doing some audio work and learning about recording and trying to figure that out because there's, there was so much potential at the time. And at the time, really, the types of multimedia experiences were, were, were good. You're starting to see things like MediaStorm. I don't know if you guys are aware of no. MediaStorm, these really beautiful fo- kind of photographic audio experiences that Brian Storm had put together and, but it was just the incipient stages of some of these. It was a long time before. Uh, what was that famous, that New York Times one that everyone always quotes? Snowfall. Snowfall, right? A long time before that would come. Um, long time being a few years. But, yeah. Um, relatively. Relatively. Yeah, it was a long time. So it was the incipient stages of that type of work. So it was really exciting because a lot of that type of more digital multimedia work, which was beautifully designed, was also really contingent on good imagery. Um, so that was how I sort of made the transition is, is starting to play with a lot of that in terms of, okay, good images equate with really good audio, equate with really good designed experiences. I need to learn how to do this whole package. Mm-hmm. The reason I ask is because through this show, we get in touch with a lot of people that have non-traditional design mm-hmm. backgrounds or don't have a design background at all, yeah. but they're super interested in this work. They're like, I want to make these digital products yeah. better. How do I even get started? And you've done it. Uh, yeah. Sounds like just by teaching yourself. Oh, yeah. Was there anything that you found particularly helpful or resources or people or things Oof. that that like gave you a level up in I mean, making that like knowledge transition? I feel fortunate that I started working immediately after school with people that were highly trained in these very specific fields. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, endless curiosity. Uh, having imposter syndrome nonstop is anxiety-inducing, but also pushes you into learning as much as you possibly can. Fake it till you make it. I think I really believe in that. You know, there was a lot of times where someone, uh, specifically when I was working at AOL, even at Billboard, even now, you know, they're like, can you do, we need you to do this. And it was like, oh God, I have no idea. Well, guess I got to figure it out. (laughs) Sure. Sure. And you know what? You do. You figure it out or you don't. And, you know, but, but take the chance and maybe you do figure it out and then maybe... That then becomes a niche, a skill set that you have that you can kind of move into being some of your main parts of your job. Do you still feel like you're faking it till you make it? 
Or do you feel like you kind of made it? I I hope I never feel like I've made it. Mm-hmm. I, I no, because there's still so much to learn. It's just for you know, it's like I'm terrified. My phobia is phobia of stagnation. You know, um, I get really excited about things. I get super curious about things and just want to learn everything possible about how to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, chillophobia. Chillophobia. <laughs> Definitely chillophobia. Yes. I am very afraid of staying still. Um, but because the, there's yeah. so much to learn, you know, and it's and I think that's you. That's one. That's one piece of advice I would give is is just be like uh, always um, working and stuff. Be, not like, always working, never but like chill. get like ninety percent antsy. <laughs> don't get cynical about things. Be like, nah, I don't know. That doesn't. That seems like a trend. Or anything. get get curious. Like don't don't be overly cynical about new information because I think. It just inhibits creativity and inhibits growth, and and the best thing to do is is just to be really interested in things. Mm-hmm. I would say that's that is the best type of career growth. What are you most curious about right now? Oh God, that you know the least about right now. That I know the least about right now. Whew. Machine learning. No. no um, yeah, that's kind of what I was. Yeah, thinking. I mean, I I love working with engineers. Yeah. I do. I I uh, I work with them a lot. Just. Part of my job as the creative lead at the team is connecting the designers with engineers and making sure that 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 the work that we're doing is being translated into code, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm just consistently fascinated by working with them and what they do. I've I've taught myself base like HTML, CSS. I'm consistently trying to make websites, you know, which is fun for me. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not very good at it. But you know, I put them together and I use my design skill sets to make things. But uh-huh. um, I I I love learning the language of speaking to engineers and making them feel confident that I know some a little bit of what they're doing. Ah right? yes, <laughs> algorithms and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I like, think uh-huh. you know that's the biggest disservice and I'm not saying that every designer should know how to engineer things. I, I don't think that's necessarily I'll the case. That. <laughs> You'll say that? But I don't think that's what you said. I think you said you should know how to talk to people. You should know what they're doing. <laughs> Just like I believe it's the reverse. Engineers should understand what designers are doing. We're really fortunate on our team to have engineers that care about design and and are are inspired by designers. Um so but that's like that's really awesome. But it's I f- not see- the there's, I feel like you can draw a correlation in any other industry where the person designing a thing has to understand how it is built. Yes, I agree. Like you can't have that anywhere else. But see, I I think it's important. I think every designer's like, oh, it's so freaking awesome to have engineers that care about design. And you know that there's a room full of engineers somewhere doing a whatever the inverse of this podcast is for engineers. And they're like, yeah, it's so awesome. I work with the designer who cares about engineering. Yeah. Like, yeah, I hope so. Of course. Yeah, it's it's of really course. cool when people care to like relate to each other. Yeah, that's pretty chill. But I don't know. You know, and it seems crazy, but it's that specifically Google, that wasn't always the case. Like design wasn't always something that was sort of I think everywhere. considered important, right? Yeah. I mean, it's It's an engineering company for sure. It's an engineering company. So I feel really fortunate. Changing. Yeah, it's changing. It's mm-hmm. totally changing. We've uh, And I love the engineers I work with. They really do care about design and they have aesthetics and they, they want, they care about making things look really good as well as being highly functional. Yeah. So, um, that's what I'm curious about is learning everything I possibly can about how they make things, trying to make some of those things myself using HTML and CSS and, uh, you know, some basics. Uh-huh. And been, yeah. 
We've been getting really into API design lately. That's pretty uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brent and I are basically doing the same thing. Like, how do you even, how do you do this? <laughs> it's 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 fascinating. I don't know. It's like there's yeah, something also really like for as a designer designing something in Illustrator or Sketch and then being able to actually make something that I can put online is like that's is mind blowing. Uh-huh. This is so great. It's like <laughs> for me looking at the engineering world is a little bit like standing on the edge of an abyss and like there's tons of stuff out there and you don't even you don't know what you're about to find. And when you do find things, you're going to go on these like crazy tangents and go down all these rabbit holes. And that can be intimidating. Do you remember like, when it was like even... that for design though? Like yeah, yeah, you exactly. had that step like, for sure. I don't even know if I want to start because it's just going to be too endless and it goes deep and I don't know where the end is. Yeah. And I'm here on this cozy like platform. Um, but dude, go, but, it, but jump. Yeah. Take the lead. You're sliding downhill, so don't worry about it. Just do it. <laughs> it's happening to you. Thanks, dude. No, so so I, I I think I would I would recommend or I would encourage uh, designers to kind of play with code a little bit, but I don't think it's a requirement necessarily. But a hundred percent, I think it's a requirement to understand or to at least make an attempt to understand how mm. things are actually being built. The principles overlap so much. Like when you start to really understand something, you're like, oh, it's the same thing. It's just syntax. Like, yeah. It feels so good. Yeah. Yeah. So. So I always like to end by asking what keeps you up at night. So now I'm going to ask it what keeps you up at night. And not in a literal sense. Um, (laughs) uh, What keeps me up at night? You know, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's why we do it. A lot of it is more super granular. It's like, oh, shit, did I send that email to Michelle? (laughs) Oh, no. Did I? Oh, man, what are we going to do about oh, we made this design decision, but another team implemented it differently. I need to remember to, you know, talk You need to a to-do team. list. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I Google, do. I have remind 500 me. different yeah. to-do lists. I have an analog one. I have five of them online. Um, you should build your own to-do list. There you go. I should. That I think that's a great use of my time. <laughs> hey. No, I use, uh, <laughs> there's, I, use, I use every possible to-do list that has uh-huh. ever been created. Well, that sounds like and, a worse possible yeah, use of your time. I know, time. <laughs> exactly. It's, I'm too fragmented. Um, I don't know. I think what keeps me up at right, you know, like night, it's, it's feeling like, are we making the right overall, the right decisions for all of the work that my team is doing? I believe yes, but there's, there's a level of doubt and I think doubt is good. I think doubt, um, pushes you into thinking more and more and better and better about the things that you're actually making decisions on. Um, I have I, these. Is, this is the best team I've ever worked with. Incredible designers and engineers, product managers, PGMs, all different researchers. Um, but you know, I think a healthy amount of doubt in your work, or just not being a hundred percent binary of yes and no in terms of what you're doing, is healthy. But there's also a little bit of anxiety. But mm-hmm. anxiety can be okay because it propels you into keep questioning what you're working on. Do you have any sort of objective measure? I think, like, how do you know that the material design system is objectively working well i think i think there are metrics and we and we have you know like what's your in terms of external products like what is your adoptability have people been using your product what's your conversion rate if you're trying to actually sell things for example uh, what's the adaption rate in terms of people actually using our components, et cetera? What's the what's the page views on the material design spec? So there there's a there's a, a variety of different metrics that we can use to kind of showcase success. Um, but the, those don't sound like they're related to what you're thinking about, though. 
Like, no, yeah. I mean, I think that is a very important thing to think about, and I do think about that. But I also just want to make sure that that we're doing really good work and that the work is really resonant and it's the right thing for the industry. Um, and that's can be somewhat subjective sometimes, right? right. The right thing for the industry is a <laughs> big question. Yeah, right? It's just because it's a combination of understanding what are the immediate needs now in design, but also like what are people going to need a few months down the line? You know, more than a few months, but you know, <laughs> I hope so. You know, so it's and that's I don't know. That's sometimes hard to access. You know, hmm. so um, can you tell us what we need to know down the line? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, let me think about that for a second. What are we not thinking about that we should be thinking about? <sighs> that's actually a serious question. Google has like, the stats are, on that. What do you feel like designers are not thinking about? I don't know. I feel pretty good that designers. Are thinking about everything. No, I, I think maybe that's a that's a little bit of a blanket statement. I don't know. That's that's a that is a really good question. I feel like the I, breadth- I, can, I can supplement the question by saying I feel like I'm missing the boat on VR, AR, MR, AI, ML. Yeah, there's all a this lot of that stuff. Shit that I'm like, ugh, I don't even I don't even know where to start. It could all be for nothing. It could all be for nothing. I think um, there's it. a lot of trends, right? right. I, I, I agree. And, and th- this is talked about a lot with VR. I'm super I'm excited about many aspects of VR, but also there's a hesitancy in certain moments with VR as well. But Well, it's like no one's ready to like fully bet it on it yet, yeah. right? Like we don't know how it's going to work. It's like 3D TVs. like, <laughs> And then we see Third how well screens. those worked out. Yeah. Well, yeah. Didn't, didn't most people bail on them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think my my word of advice for all of that stuff is be aware of it, know it, find the things that you like and dislike about it, have a point of view and perspective um, on it. But in terms of pick your investments, you can't nearly invest all of your time in all of those acronyms like, that you but just I mentioned. Know, I want to know everything about everything. <laughs> but also, you just earlier you mentioned cross-cultural UI density. Yeah. I never considered that before. Yeah. That's a thing. I mean, it's, it's, but no, you bring up a good point. Yeah. Be aware and know everything you possibly can about all of that. But in terms of where you go deep, where <laughs> yeah, you put yeah. your attention, you have to make those decisions. Yeah. T-shape. Um, but T-shape. Exactly. I mean, I'm very much a generalist. Like I was shooting Nicki Minaj seven years ago. You yeah. Know? That's as general like, as it gets. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weirdly general, like, you know, but I wanted to originally be a neuroscientist. Like, I don't Has know. Has that ever come up in a meeting? You're like, <laughs> Oh, like discussing the how the spec should be like, oh, this reminds me of that time we were shooting with Nikki and she said something I, really insightful about this is the color of the chair she tried. I design like and, my previous life. Like I had some, you know, Kanye, I lied to Kanye West. <laughs> I've been like, whoa, 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 he knew. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He, knew. He, he did kind of know. You conned Kanye. He did kind of know. You, it you was, I told him I was a cobbler, which was really weird. <laughs> but That sounds on. like something he'd be very interested Quick in. Quick pause. Story time. Yeah, we were at a Rihanna concert because we were pitching. <laughs> what? <laughs> we were, what is this life? This, Hang on. This was Billboard. This was my previous life. We were at a um, Rihanna concert because we were pitching. We had designed this like hub for Rihanna uh, that we were pitching to her creative team when I was at Billboard. Um, so we were backstage. We were going to pitch it to her after her show. We were waiting for her to finish performing, but Kanye was backstage Ugh, also, and just uh, being in the way and stuff. I don't, I don't know, I don't know why we started talking to him. I was also with the um, editorial director of Bill, of Billboard at the time, and uh, yeah, he complimented my shoes, <laughs> and I said I made them. 
What? And I did I did not make my shoes. That was a complete lie. I think you inspired him. And he was like, really? Tell me about that. Where did you make them? What are the materials that you used? And I was like, oh, shit. Here we go. And, you done goof. And four Here's... years later, Yeezys. <laughs> I think I see what I happened know. here. He Are you familiar with the idea of leather jog pants? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. There's some yeah. IP so issues here. So basically you invented the I, Yeezys. You, you were pre-Zies. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was, I was pre-Yeezy. Yeah. I made the pre-Zies. How deep did you go in the lie? Did you actually like, oh, well, yeah, I was, like I, I have a sewing I, I, kit? Well, I was in New York. I was like, yeah, in San Francisco, I – you know, sourced this leather and we, they were gold shoes. And I was like, oh, and we dyed it and then we stitched together. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I make design 100%. systems for shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I should have said. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we went deep into that lie and then we talked about some Met exi- exhibitions. Do you think Kanye knew immediately you lied and he was just trying to catch you? I don't know. I think he, you know, it was interesting. He seemed like a very curious person. He actually wanted to know how I had made them. I honestly think that you inspired him. Based on this two-second story, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take I'll take that that point of inspiration. We never did uh, get to show Rihanna that thing that we made after, th- but but you got to talk to Kanye about. But shoes. I got to talk to Kanye and Rihanna did give me a hug. So that's pretty cool. I'll take so it. Was, I'll take I'll ta- it. I'll take it. That's like bucket it. list yeah. kind of stuff right there. Bucket list. Yeah, that was my second time meeting Kanye. It was a weird. It was <laughs> the first time I lied to him about how I made my <laughs> pants. The first time he was sweating in a. Big fur coat. Classic. But, you know, As one classic does. Kanye. Classic Kanye. <sighs> yeah. So uh, previous what an life. interesting life. Yeah. It's hmm. been it's been it's been weird. Yeah. But thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah no thanks problem. for this has been Thank super you for coming fun. hanging out. Cool. Thanks for having me. <sighs> wow. That was episode one hundred ninety seven. Thank you so much to Rachel for coming to hang out with us, talking to us, telling us about the time she lied to Kanye West. Oh, so good. So good. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. We're on Spectrum at Spectrum.chat. We're kind of everywhere. We're kind of all everywhere. up in your grill. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you did enjoy it, of course, and if you've been getting value out of the show, leave us a review on iTunes. All those ratings help us move up the charts and help new people like you discover the show. Before we go, be sure to check out FuseTools.com. Fuse is building a new way for designers and developers and teams to actually build amazing products together faster with less code. If you've been wanting to work on an app or your team needs a better process, go to FuseTools.com. You can learn more, check out their demos and their documentation. It's an amazing product solving incredibly hard problems in the space. And we're very excited to have them supporting the show. Thanks so much to Fuse. Thanks to Fuse. Don't forget to go sign up for Vectors at wearevectors.com. If you're you're going to be here in San Francisco in June, or maybe you want to be, go sign up for it. Tickets open up on Monday. Check out the speaker list. It looks amazing. It's going to be super cool. The conference is about identity and design, and that's something that's really interesting to talk about. That's it. wearevectors.com. See you next week.